0: It's time now for the complete story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's complete story. Well, this is Edmund Fowler for Bot Radio Network, along with Rich Bot. We're here at the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, Arizona, sunny Phoenix, warm Phoenix, a lot warmer than uh, other parts of the country right now. And uh, we're just thankful to be able to be here. We're at the National religious broadcasters booth, and they've been gracious enough to provide us some space. And we've had a great time talking with some folks, some new folks that we've never met before, and also some of our broadcast ministry partners. so, Rich, introduce our next guest, our first guest for this program. Well, we are delighted to have with us Dr. Ronnie Floyd.
1: And uh, we broadcast Dr. Ronnie Floyd's messages in the uh, northwest Arkansas area of our coverage. And he is the previous president of the, South, uh, the, of the Southern Baptist Convention. Do you remember when they hosted it last year in St. Louis and we were there? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Ronnie Floyd was the president then. And uh, Dr. Floyd, welcome to BOT Radio Network.
2: Thank you. It's great to be with both of you men.
1: One of the things... Things that really impressed me last year at the Southern Baptist Convention in St. Louis was the, m- the, the, the emphasis on racial reconciliation and coming together at the foot of the cross. And you had a, a Lynn Jackson, the great-great-granddaughter mm-hmm. of Dred Scott and, yes. and so many others. The, the, the president of the National Baptist was That's there right. as, as one of the speakers. And tell us about your heart. What, why, what is it in your heart that causes that to be such an important passion?
2: Rich, fantastic question because it was in August of 2014 when the situation happened in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm -hmm. I'd just been elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so I immediately got involved in making sure uh, when things began to be so much at rest in St. Louis that we could reach out and do what we could about that. I reached out to African-American pastors as well as uh, Anglo pastors and others. Um, But in reality, it was me sitting on it and praying about it for a few days. And then finally, I just felt like enough was enough and I needed to speak to it. So I gathered together on a conference call. Um, I think it was five African-American pastors of the Southern Baptist Convention, along with three Anglo pastors. And I said, guys, I want to bounce off of you what's on my heart. Mm -hmm. I got to speak to this issue, and I want to write an article, and it's going to blow up when I do. So I want to to do it. Long story short, uh, they were so intrigued with it, I wrote the article. They helped me shape the article. They said, why don't you let us sign it with you? We'll get another uh, 20 or so multi-ethnic leaders across America to join us. And together, we all released that letter, and it had massive impact. That opened the door into an entree of me being on the feature uh, cover of an African-American magazine of the South, as lo- and that opened up a relationship with a National Baptist Convention pastor who was the president that I reached out to personally, which led to an event in Jackson, which led to another event in Jackson, which led to him eventually with the Southern Baptist Convention a year ago. So
0: tell us what the National Baptist Convention is, because many of our listeners may not be familiar with it.
2: Well, the National Baptist Convention is a large African-American denomination um, that is very committed to Scripture. Um, and uh, they have about 30,000 churches and so this was a phenomenon that occurred mm-hmm. I believe Dr. Evie uh, Hill was part
1: of. Evie yeah. e. Hill's probably part of that
2: so you know to have the president a year ago was like epic yeah we're talking about something that that had not been done. And uh, for me to be in, on the same stage with him as president of the Southern Mavs Convention, that happened in Jackson in a full house, over 3,500 people of color. It was an unbelievable night. When you say Jackson. You, you Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi. That's right. It all happened right there in Jackson. That brought about a racial reconciliation conversation. We believe the greatest way in the world. Uh, for America to overcome the crisis right now, it's not going to be through a, some kind of political agreements or some kind of or uh, laws. Uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. right or, or activities. It, what it is going to be about is the church appearing to be the church and and mm. and and serving as the gospel light in the regions, yes. and then also we have to be aggressive about matters relating to criminal justice and those kind of matters of, of helping people of all ethnicities who have struggled in their life, and going into the inner, inner cities, into the neighborhoods, and modeling Christ to them. Not just going and preaching to them, but modeling the gospel. And so that's really what we tried to move toward. I've even been working since uh, I've been president and after I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention about this initiative with several others.
1: My goodness. Well, we certainly live in strategic days, don't yes, we? Yes, no question. And, and I tell people that, that we can't expect Donald Trump to do the work of the church, but if he can hold the door of religious liberty open for the church to do the work that the church is supposed right. to do, then we'll see a marvelous result.
2: Yes, there's no question about it, Rich. And you know, the good news is is that regardless of, of, of the perspectives that various evangelicals may have about the president and the administration, it's really not about the president, about the administration, but it is about this. They have forwarded religious liberty as much as I have seen in years and years and years in relationship with that. I was there at that epic signing. There in the Rose Garden of the recently about the Religious Liberty Bill and the Johnson amendment That's right, and all of that. And I mean, there is at least a deep acknowledgement and a strong commitment to making sure that that part of 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 what we believe that Congress shall make no law prohibiting religious uh, matters. That right there. Uh, is what they're very committed to, and I think, and that's what we're seeing. And I think God is honoring that in many ways. And we should step up and say thank you, and we should also go after it to assist when we can. And and and
1: suit up and go to work. Yeah, because we just we just the uh, the other night we were at the Harvest America Crusade, where I understand. 2904 people came forward mm, to accept yes. Christ as their savior. Amen. I think we live in a strategic time where people are hungry and
2: open to receive the gospel and we need to
1: be there to present it.
2: That's right. And you know, we need to understand that the door is open. And as long as the door is open, we need to be aggressive about following up in the door, taking every moment, every opportunity we have that God has given us to share the gospel. That's why I appreciate entrees like the radio the web and, and various forms of media that let us go places we cannot go on our own. And so with that, we're thankful for the privilege to be able to do that.
1: And, and we're here at the National Religious Broadcasters booth, and we thank you for your involvement and participation in NRB. Thank you.
0: This is Evan Fowler and Rich Bott here at the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix. Uh, Dr. Ronnie Floyd is our guest right now. I want to go back to what you were talking about before, a very interesting conversation about racial reconciliation and some things that you got involved with. How are things moving? How are things proceeding now?
2: Well, relating to the Southern Baptist Convention, I just know that the Southern Baptist Convention is very committed to doing what it can do in relationship to that. Um, I do not know specifically what they're actively doing to pursue a continued relationship with, for example, with groups like the National Baptist Convention and all. But what I do know is that the very heartbeat of the SBC is to be able to express and become the home for all uh, non-white uh, ethnicities as well as uh, those of us that look like the three of us in this in this boot yeah. today sure. I,
1: I read I heard a statistic uh, that you know that, of course the SBC the Southern Baptist Convention is very strong on church planting but but right. the majority more than 50% of the new churches that have been planted by the Southern yes, Baptist are right. are um, what would be considered to be minority? That's right. Uh, a non non Caucasian yes. majority
2: c- congregations. Yeah, yeah, the actual statistics on that is twenty three percent of the Southern Baptist Convention churches and and congregations. Uh, out of our fifty one thousand churches and congregations, that's a lot. Are non white uh, congregations and churches? Okay. Out of all of our church planting two years ago, fifty eight percent of all of our church plants were were non white church plants. Last year it was 50%. We're very committed to that. If you're going to reach the cities, you have to understand, if you're going to reach the cities, then it's going to change. And the challenges of our seminaries and the challenges of our churches are going to have to be to make entrees and ways for those that are that are non-white folks to be able to be trained and sent out from our churches to plant gospel churches among the cities. And many of them are going to plant multi-ethnic churches. Hopefully, all of them will plant multi-ethnic churches because that's where the country is going to be. If we think we're going to grow churches and be relevant in society today, and everybody look like me, mm-hmm. that will not happen in tomorrow's church. It's not even happening in today's church. I love your terminology because
1: there's one race, the human race. Absolutely. And, and that's when we, and we all come together at the foot of the cross.
2: Absolutely. That's where it's all at, Rich, and that's where we have to keep our focus. You know, it's, it, we're all made in the image of God, uh-huh. and with that deep commitment to the image of God, uh, that is not determined by the color of one's skin, it's not determined by the job we have, by the title we hold. All that's going to come and go. Bottom line is, God has made me in His image, through Jesus Christ I can become all things in Him, and for that, praise God we have a future and a hope. Hey, give a shout out to our listeners in Northwest Arkansas. Oh, to all of you in Northwest Arkansas, this is Ronnie Floyd, senior pastor of Cross Church. It is a joy that you are a part of this gathering with us today, and the Lord
0: bless you. Thank you so much. Dr. Ronnie Floyd, we appreciate it. God bless you. Rich, our next guest here at the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, Arizona is Andrew bear He's the pastor at Paramount Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas. And uh, you've got an interesting story. You've got some interesting things and experiences that you can share with our listeners. Uh, first of all, understand that you have an extremely diverse area there in Amarillo, and that would mean then also in your church. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Surprisingly so. When you think about Amarillo, Texas, you think about cattle country, you think about cowboys, but actually we have more refugees per capita in Amarillo than anywhere else in the state of Texas. And we have two refugee relocation centers, and so there are a couple of hundred people groups represented in our area, and that's really changed the face of our city. Uh, As I mentioned, per capita, more refugees than anywhere else in the state of Texas, and so you have people from Somalia and Sudan and Cuba and Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq, And our church has really had to rethink how we do our ministry and how we reach our city because we're not reaching people who look like us. God has brought the nations to our doorstep. And so we've had to really re-strategize how to engage our neighborhood because our neighborhood now looks like the nation's. And a- God bless you for thinking to do that and not just keep
1: you know, on doing everything the way you've been doing, but as your community changes, change to impact the community. Tell us what that means and, and what are some of your strategies that you've come up with? Well,
3: it's very difficult to do that because when you're encountering cultures other than your own, there are there's friction and there are differences, and uh, sometimes those differences are difficult. And so there's been in Amarillo, you know, some pushback against the refugee population. You know, uh, as, a con- as a conservative, I have certain views on immigration. But as a Christian, my theology of how to treat the stranger has to trump, in some cases, my political position on immigration. And mm-hmm. so my primary, primary duty to the immigrant is not... To ask whether or not they are legal or illegal or the circumstances around their immigration, but to show them the love of Jesus. So, the way that we've done it at Paramount Baptist Church is through teaching English as a second language. And God has really blessed this ministry over the last really couple of decades. We've had strong lay leadership, and they just wanted to show the compassion of Christ to the refugee community. And currently, we have on a weekly basis about 300 students from 26 nations who come to our church and learn English. And uh, there are many Muslims, there are Hindus, there are people from all over the world. And uh, in addition to teaching them English, we share the gospel of Jesus with them weekly. In fact, last week I, had to ha- I got to have lunch with a couple of Iraqi men. And um, one of whom had come to know Jesus as Savior through our ESL ministry. And he had a Muslim friend that he wanted to introduce us to who is learning about the gospel of Jesus. And so ESL has been one very practical, tangible way of showing the love of Christ to this community so that we can extend the, the message of Christ. And an
1: ESL thing. stands for? English as a second language. Oh, yes. Okay. So let me ask you this, because as I've traveled in different parts of the world uh, to a small extent, I've been amazed and it's just been wonderful to have it reaffirmed to me that the gospel is for everyone and people respond to the gospel in the same way because we all have that same need in our heart that's placed there by our creator what what are you finding say for instance um a number of the refugee resettlements are muslims what what are you finding are some of the most effective way to reach that people group
3: well as with any other person the message, you know, the channel through which the gospel reaches the heart, I believe, is relationship. And the Muslim people are are hospitable, and they respond very well to hospitality. And so when we open our doors, not just of our church, but of our homes, and have real relationship with, with Muslim friends, they their hearts become receptive to the gospel. And as you said, Rich, the, the gospel is is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we all receive it the same way. And the way I like to think about it is that the gospel reconciles us both vertically and horizontally. So what Jesus did on the cross reconciles us to the Father vertically, but it also reconciles us to one another. And the Apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2. The first half of Ephesians 2 says that we were at hostility with the Father, and Jesus reconciles us to Himself. How have you prepared your church to think in terms of uh, the, the, the mission field is coming to our community, yes. and we need to be engaged in, in missions? Yes. Well, we believe in the sovereignty of God, and that God in His sovereignty has placed our church in a neighborhood for such a time as this. And our calling is to reach our neighborhood regardless of who inhabits it. Mm-hmm. And if our neighborhood uh, is filled with the 95% Anglo, then that's who we'll reach. But our our neighborhood and our city is filled with the nations, and so that's our mission field. And, you know, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that every follower of Jesus is either a missionary or an imposter. And so we're trying to teach our people to think about themselves, not primarily by how they draw a paycheck but by their calling from the Lord, which is both to be a disciple and a disciple maker, to be a missionary and to reach the mission field, which is their neighborhood.
0: Now, You mentioned earlier that there's this, this sort of balance between reaching out to refugees and the whole immigration status thing. It's, I'm sure this is a question that you've done a lot of thinking about, and it is a controversy within the church in terms of, uh, you know, you have the rule of law where people who, who are coming into the country illegally, uh, you know, that, that's, you've got this conflict going on there. Uh, how do you deal with that, and and how do you balance those? Obviously, you've got these people that are there right in front of you. You know, you need to minister to them, but how do you deal with that whole issue of like, legality, the rule of law, and our
3: our duty to follow the law as Christians? Well, most of the, the refugees who are in Amarillo are there legally. They're fleeing a political situation or, or or you know war or that kind of thing. We do have some folks who've come up from Mexico who are there illegally, a- and it really has to do with What's the domain? That we're talking about. The domain of the government is to enforce the law. And we believe that government is a gift from God. It's God ordained to enforce the law. And we have immigration laws. But in the domain of the church it's not the church's responsibility to enforce the law. It's the church's responsibility to show love to neighbor and to lo- the, the love of Christ to our neighbors. And so my primary responsibility as a pastor and as a believer is not to ask whether or not my neighbor is here legally or illegally, but to extend the mercy and the message of Christ to them. Uh, How are you enjoying the
1: convention so far <it's> here, wonderful. In, here in Phoenix?
3: It's wonderful. I'm a 30-year-old, so I'm a millennial. And, and uh, you know, all the projections say that denominationalism is out for millennials. But the Southern Baptist Convention is thriving, and it's thriving with young leadership, with diversity. We're the most diverse denomination in America. And uh, we're re- reaching and engaging a lot of young leaders as well. So I'm very thankful to be here. That's great news. Great
1: news. Well, one more question about this diversity in your community. Tell me about the gospel presentation to people from all over the world. Uh, do you have to change the presentation? Do you have to change the message? Or is it the
3: same, you know, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We want to tell the story of how God created the world, how mankind rebelled, how God loves the world and sends his son Jesus to rescue us from our rebellion and from the consequences of our rebellion and is ultimately restoring the world and bringing in new creation through Christ that story is the same in every culture and we want to communicate it as effectively so as, as you possible. reach
1: out to this new immigrant community and, uh, and they become part of your church
3: do you have different areas of ministry within the church to speak to people that speak a different language. We do, yes. And we, it's amazing to see some, some of our students who've learned English through our English as a Second Language program are now translating to people who've not yet learned English, and they can help us communicate the gospel to people from their own people group. God bless you. Very
0: good. Andrew A. Bear with Paramount Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Well, Rich, our next guest here at the Southern Baptist Convention is James Merritt. He's a pastor at Cross Point Church in Duluth, Georgia, and that is in the kind of in the Atlanta area, right? It James? is. Yes, sir. And you were the past president of the Southern Baptist Convention from two thousand to two thousand two. A very, very important and critical time during uh, during our country, uh, and we heard you present, uh, you were one of the presenters at lunch today, along with Greg Laurie and a couple of other folks. One of the things that you were talking about was the importance of sharing our faith. Uh, let's get into that just a little bit. Uh, share with our listeners some of the things that you shared today at lunch about uh, the importance of that and, and what... What it shows if your church is not growing, what does that tell you?
4: Yeah. Well, the the truth of the matter is that every believer has been charged with the responsibility to share Christ. The good news is every believer has the equal power and ability to do it. Now, not every believer is equally gifted in evangelism, because there there is a gift of evangelism. But all you need to share Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit and a testimony. Now, if you're a believer, you've got both of those. You have a testimony, or else you wouldn't be a believer. And if you're a believer, you receive the Holy Spirit. So the real key is not so much us talking for, for God, it's just allowing a God's Spirit to talk through us. And I made this statement. I said, uh, you know, it is a, a command that every believer be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not an option. That's not a, really, a, you know, it's not our call. It, it is a job that we're to do every day. It is a surrender we're to make every day. In fact, one of the prayers I pray as I get up every morning is I just simply say, Father, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not have to talk about Jesus. You will want to talk about Jesus. And you are compelled because Jesus said, when the Spirit of God comes, He will testify of me. So all the Holy Spirit wants to talk about is Jesus. So the ultimate mark of the Spirit-filled life is when you talk to other people about
0: Jesus. And you had a term that you refer to as gospel conversations. Define that a little bit.
4: Yeah. It's simply getting, getting first of all, into just everyday conversations with people, whether it's about the weather, football, basketball, politics, or whatever. And then always finding a way, which you always can do with really relatively ease and, and, and you know, with relatively little effort. Simply turning that gospel, that, that conversation into one that becomes over the spiritual matter
1: of a person's soul, where they are with God,
4: and hopefully lead to a chance to share the gospel.
1: They asked you a question at the, the seminar just a little bit ago about whether or not people are more or less receptive to hearing the Gospel presentation, and you turned that around and you said something to the effect of, it's not whether people are receptive or not, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. And He's every bit as powerful as He ever was, and uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that idea. Yeah.
4: I think rich that too too many people Christians when, when they start thinking about and, and we hear it all the time well people are just not as receptive they mm-hmm. used to be we're a more secular society we're more liberal than we ever been well that's all true okay I'm not going to I'm not denying any of that but if you focus on that that's when you get fearful that's when you get intimidated that's when you say well what's the use i choose to look at it the other way the gospel is the power of god and the salvation to everyone who believes it is still a fire that can melt the coldest heart. It is still a hammer that can break the hardest heart. It is still a sword that can divide uh, the soul from the spirit. And so uh, the gospel has, has not lost one kilowatt of power mm-hmm. in the last 2,000 years. It's as powerful as it was today as it, is today as it was 2,000 years ago, and the spirit's the same. So, And I'll tell you something else you'll learn, and, and if you share your faith you'll find this. I have shared the gospel with people that I thought two minutes in, man, this is going to be a piece of cake. And they'll say, nope, not interested. I've shared the Gospel with people I thought, I'm not going to get anywhere, and before I know it, they're
1: weeping and ready to receive Christ. You share the gospel and leave the results to God. Because it depends a little bit, but it depends an awful lot on the condition of the soil.
2: Absolutely. you,
1: You sow the seed, but it depends on the condition of the soil. And someone said that, you know, even though it may be hard, stony soil at the moment, God can break up that soil and make it receptive.
4: Yeah, and it's not my job to try to figure out what kind of soil it is. Only God knows what it comes Mm. So my job is to sow the seed. If it bounces off the rock, it's not on me. Mm.
1: If it goes into the soil and a plant produces, it's still not of me. It's all of God. Now what do you say to someone that has a a, a loved one that they've been praying for for a long time and trying to witness and they're just rejecting and rejecting? Mm -hmm. I'll give you an illustration.
4: I actually um, had the honor and privilege of leading uh, two of my uncles to Christ. Uh, both, particularly one, probably the scaredest I've ever been, Rich, to be honest. Man, I really was scared because I didn't know, even though he's my uncle, hard as a rock, never went to church, never showed any interest in spiritual matters whatsoever. But my aunt, his sister, was dying. We knew she was dying. And my family was real close. My Uncle Frank was walking out of the parking lot. And I knew I had to talk to him. And I walked out behind him. and I said, Uncle Frank, he turned around. He surprised I was there. I started weeping. I said, Uncle Frank, my aunt is going to heaven and i'm going to heaven and my dad's going to heaven and i mentioned some of the other brothers sisters and i said you're not going to heaven and i want to tell you something uncle frank i love you so much that i don't only love i not only love hanging around you on planet earth i want to know mm. you're going to heaven with me wow rich honest to goodness the spirit of god softened his heart just like that mm. and in three minutes in that parking lot in the hospital He prayed to receive Christ. He got baptized, and from that day till the day he died, never missed another day of church.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, something else you shared at that lunch uh, was uh, when you share the gospel with someone, how it makes you feel. What is it, what it does for you? Describe that. Tell us about that.
4: And it sounds strange. I'm just being honest with you. I got saved as a nine-year-old boy. And when I got saved, I, my, I share the testimony. Different people responded different ways. You know, there's some people that get saved, man. They they see bright lights, they hear angels <laughs> singing, all that. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. I didn't I didn't feel one thing. I knew I meant business, but I didn't feel anything. But I knew I was saved in a movie theater. I knew that when the when the, when the lights came on and I walked out, I knew the kid that was walking out of there was not the kid that walked in. I knew something in my I knew now someone something in, in my life had radically 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 changed. And so, you know, the, the, the point that, that, you know, I was trying to make, uh, you know, in, in that luncheon is that even though I did get joy out of receiving Christ, there is no joy like the joy of seeing somebody go from darkness to light, from death to light, and from the power of Satan to the power of God. And until you actually experience leading someone to Christ, you won't understand that. But I'm just being honest. The joy for me is even greater than the joy that I got
1: saved. Because the Lord used you in that process. And and I get to see,
4: it. now I'm on the outside, so to speak, looking in, and I'm seeing what, ha- what
1: happened to me on the inside, I now get to
4: see from the outside, and it's incredible.
1: So this was a pastor's conference, and this um, tell us about your, your advice to pastors about their yeah. own personal soul winning, Yeah. Well, be, here, n- beyond just what they preach in the pulpit. Here's what I said. I said to them, nothing will keep your heart
4: hot for God, nothing. Not reading the Bible, that's important. Not prayer, that's important i found in my own personal experience, nothing keeps my heart hot for God like sharing the gospel, not even leading people to Christ, just knowing that I'm being faithful and I'm sharing the good news with someone else and knowing I'm giving them the same opportunity to have an eternal life change that God gave to me. And when that actually happens and they actually do pray to receive Christ, and I even see the countenance on their face change. I see their face soften. I almost see a radiance coming out of them. There's just no joy like it. And I know now why the Bible says there's rejoicing in the midst of the angels when just one person comes to repentance. Mm
0: -hmm. That's right. Uh, And then one other thing too, uh, there was a discussion about uh, within the church, you've got folks who've been there for a long, long time, and then you have new folks coming in who just have met the Lord. And the intermixing and the stability that the folks who've been there for a long time provide. And perhaps, I don't know if freshness is the right word, but the freshness of the new people coming in. Talk about that.
4: Well, yeah. And, and I'll tell you the, the, the important part, and this is where a lot of the, I'll call it the veterans miss it. A lot of the veterans miss the point, the fact that when you've got these new people coming into the church. God has given them a golden opportunity to fulfill the number one calling of the church, which is to make disciples. Mm -hmm. Well, who better to make a disciple than someone who's been a disciple for a long time? That's right. So unfortunately, too often people look askew and askance at these people. Hey, they're messing up our church, and they don't dress like we dress or look like we look. Instead of having the attitude, Lord, thank you for bringing this new baby to the nursery. I'll be more than happy to nurse that baby to adulthood.
0: How about that? Well, James Merritt, pastor of Cross Point Church in Duluth, Georgia, thanks for taking some time to talk with our listeners today. Pleasure to be with you. Thank it. you. Well, this is Evan Fowler along with Rich Bott. We're here at the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, Arizona. Maybe our listeners can hear some of the background noise. That's right. It's, that's what. But we, we're, we're on the exhibit floor. That's what's going on. Lots and lots of people around here. So we're going to be continuing to, to send reports over the next couple of days, and uh, we appreciate you listening. We'll be back.